Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's Cardiac Rehab Podcast, a podcast series where we discuss the patient's journey through participation in cardiac rehabilitation programs following a cardiac event. This series is a collaboration between the Irish Association of Cardiac Rehabilitation and the Irish Heart Foundation, supported by Servia Laboratories Ireland, and focuses on the patient journey following a cardiac event. My name is Anthony Burrows, and I'm your host for this series. During this series, we will hear from patients who have experienced a cardiac event. They will share with us what they went through and how participation in a cardiac rehabilitation program supported their recovery. Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of this podcast series. Today we talk about normal psychological reactions after a cardiac event with Dr. Isabella Carmelau. For the second part of this episode, we would spoke to Irish writer Michael Harding, who, like many of our listeners, participated in the cardiac rehab program. Michael tells us his story and what brought him to cardiac rehab. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Isabel Carmelau, who's a senior clinical psychologist at Beaumont Hospital, who will discuss her role in supporting cardiac rehab patients. So by way of introduction, Isabella, can you tell our listeners about your role with treating cardiac rehab patients? Sure. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for for having me today. So um, I'm a senior clinical psychologist in uh, cardiology. I work in Beaumont Hospital. And with my clinical psychology hat on, I see people who attend cardiac rehab. I see people who come to the heart failure unit in Beaumont. I support patients who come in and they're seen in their acute phase of their cardiac event and they're inpatients. Um, And I would also see patients for one-to-one therapy in an outpatient capacity. So to talk about the cardiac rehab patient, I suppose, why psychology in cardiac rehab specifically? Yeah, I think that's a very good question and a a very good way to to start today's podcast. More often than not, when someone experiences a cardiac event, um, there's an emotional response uh, in addition to the physiological impact of their heart condition. And people need the time and the space to be able to process what happened to them. And psychologists are trained in evidence-based talking therapies to help people manage their psychological distress and to support them in enhancing their well-being and overall quality of life. Secondly, a lot of people attending cardiac rehab would be told that they need to make a significant number of lifestyle changes. And cardiac psychologists are there to support them uh, in making such changes, such as quitting smoking, having a healthier diet, maybe to support their activity levels or be able to adhere to their medication. And more often than not, we know what we need to do to stay healthy, but successfully successfully changing those habits is often a difficult process. And I can imagine it's a difficult process at a time like this after an event. Absolutely. Although having said that, that is it's a particularly good time to think about changes because people feel very motivated to stay well for the foreseeable future. So being mindful that everyone's patient experience is individual and different, nonetheless, I'm sure there's common reactions that patients have after a cardiac event. So can you describe what those commonalities are uh, as you see it? Yeah, so I will go through through a few of them. Being diagnosed with a, with a heart condition 
can be very upsetting and people experience a wide range of reactions. Some of them can feel quite anxious, quite fearful about the future. Will I have another heart attack? Will I be okay? Am I okay to leave the house? Am I okay to be on my own? They become quite preoccupied with bodily sensations. And what tends to happen is that when we focus on bodily sensations, they become more enhanced. And we start thinking about their meaning and whether we need to seek professional help again. Some people feel quite hopeless and and helpless. There's a sense of their identity having changed. They might say, I feel like I'm an invalid. I used to be someone who looked after everyone in my family and now I need to be looked after. And it's it's an uncomfortable position to be in. It's a shock, I'd imagine. It can be a shock indeed, particularly for people who feel that they've done everything that they could to stay healthy. We see people who would come in and say, I was physically active, I had a good diet, I was managing my stress levels. Why has this happened? And that that shock reaction, um, the why me question comes in very quickly because people try to understand why it has happened. And would they blame themselves? That can happen too, particularly in the context of someone who may have had, shall we say, unhealthy lifestyle habits, someone who might have smoked a lot, for example, and the blame comes in and people think, well, I have done this to myself and I have done this to my family and I could have prevented it. And it's very upsetting for them. And I can imagine because of cardiac events, the age range is from quite young people, if we say, you know, in their 40s, um, across to an older age group. I mean, is there similarities and are those feelings seen across that age spectrum? In a nutshell, yes. There, there will be, to some extent, differences in that younger people tend to be a bit more distressed because they tend to have younger families. They, so they worry not just for themselves, but also for their family. They might be in a position when they can't resume work or they will have to go back to work in a very different capacity. So there's loss in that too. There might be financial difficulties or financial implications as a result of their cardiac condition. But there's also a perception, if you like, in common knowledge that a cardiac patient is someone who's very old or someone who's much older. Mm. And therefore, when it happens to someone who's much younger there's very much that sense of, it shouldn't have happened to me. So as well as the physical event, I mean, I, I, can, I can imagine that this, I suppose, psychological impact can be equally as traumatic, or in some cases, if it's beyond the acute phase, very distressing for patients at that time. It is, and that's why they need the support of the cardiac rehab staff, the psychologists and the nurses who specialize in cardiac rehabilitation, the pharmacists, the dietitians, everyone who's on board to help them make sense of what happened and to help them feel more confident in their ability to manage their condition. And one of the things that is tremendously important in that context is to giving people the knowledge about what were their risk factors and what do they need to do to address them and to stay well. I guess cardiac rehab then, the process starts. 
um, as you said, you mentioned the multidisciplinary team there, everyone that's involved. Is cardiac rehab, is it helping people recover emotionally as well as physically? It's certainly a contributing factor to recovery. There are very well-known psychological benefits that are associated with physical exercise, for example. We know that exercise is effective in addressing low mood and it also helps reduce anxiety levels. In addition to that, the social support that people received by the cardiac rehab staff and the sense of shared experience when meeting and talking to other people with a cardiac condition can help validate people's experiences and they feel less lonely. So they're becoming part of a community of recovery. It's tremendously powerful to hear from someone else that how you feel is also felt by someone else, that you're not the only one who feels that way and that it's normal to feel that way and also that things are going to get better. Thirdly, patients often talk about cardiac rehab being instrumental in helping them recover their confidence, the confidence in themselves and and their confidence in their own body. Because cardiac rehab teaches people not only how to manage their cardiac condition, how to stay well for the foreseeable future, but also how can they safely be physically active without being fearful of another cardiac event. So it's huge in terms of building back their confidence levels in it's okay for me to exercise and nothing bad is going to happen to me. Quite the opposite. It's going to be good for me. So again, on on the common reactions uh, for patients after the cardiac event, I can imagine that people can can question, the, you know, their purpose, their meaning after after a big event like this in their lives. It certainly takes people in that place, particularly for people who have had a cardiac arrest. When we go through normal life and we're on our our little hamster wheel and we think about what we need to do on a daily basis. We don't spend too much time thinking about what is it all about and what do I want to achieve and what's truly important to me. And then a a significant life event, such as a cardiac condition, comes along. And sometimes people stop in their tracks and they use the event as a wake-up call to think what is this all about and life is short and our bodies are fragile and none of us is immortal and how do I want to live my life from here on end in a way that I am true to myself and true to the things that are important to me so a a profound kind of reflection uh, by somebody but probably is it fair to say that this is a normal reflection for people to have in this case? Absolutely normal, but not only that, it becomes a springboard for positive life changes. And actually in the psychology literature, it is known as post-traumatic growth. Okay. It's about stopping and thinking and reflecting, processing everything that has happened, and then making a commitment to live life in a way where meaning and excitement is present. We're very used to hearing about post-traumatic stress. I mean, that's something we hear a lot. But when you describe post-traumatic growth, it seems so positive the way you've outlined it there. And that's something patients really engage with. 
Not everybody, but certain, certainly some of them do. A cardiac event can be traumatic to people and it doesn't necessarily lead to things like post-traumatic stress disorder. That does happen on occasion and in those circumstances they would certainly need expert professional input. But when we talk about a life-changing event, a traumatic event, it can lead to positive changes without a doubt. So after a family member's uh, cardiac event, how have you seen you know, families uh, or, or friends react um, to hearing about their, their loved one having an event? It's a bit of a snowball effect in that it doesn't just affect the patients, it also affects their, their family, particularly their spouses, their partners, who, who might have witnessed the patient becoming unwell or, and or they're very worried about will they be okay. There might be changes in their relationship dynamics. Maybe the patient becomes very upset, very distressed. Maybe they become more irritable and that will put additional pressure on the relationship itself. But also, if you think about it on a continuum, families tend to react in two different ways and this would be the the two extremes. Either they become overprotective, doing absolutely everything for the patient in a way that the patient ends up feeling... I suppose, helpless, and that that they have no purpose anymore, that their days are stretching with nothing to do, more time to think about it. Uh, And at the other end of the continuum, you have people who might interpret, if you like, the usual feedback they get, which is to say, the patient looks well, they appear to be well, therefore... What's wrong with them? Why don't they just do the things that they always used to do? With no understanding of the effect that their cardiac condition has had on them. So for for the patient in that case, as you described it, and for the families, I mean, these dynamics are, I guess, normal, the way you've just described it to me. Absolutely. And everything that we've talked about so far, Anthony, in terms of reactions, psychological reactions after a cardiac event, is very important to underline that they are all normal psychological reactions. So, again, a broad question, but what has helped patients get through an event? We will be talking about that in greater detail in another podcast, but to give you, if you like, the very basics of it, the important basics of it, there's something about encouraging people to express their emotions, about not bottling feelings, Feelings have a way to leak out when they're not processed and we might find ourselves overreacting to very small, insignificant events. And that's certainly a sign that things are not quite right and potentially people need to address it. There's something also about establishing a good support network of family and friends who you know are going to be there to help you. And that might be practical support and that might be emotional support, but they are equally important. Make sure that you surround yourself with things that inspire joy and happiness, things that provide meaning and excitement in life. That might be hobbies, that might be interests, that might be favourite books or inspirational sayings or family photos, but there's something about going back to things 
that are familiar and that you know are important and meaningful to you. And I guess when you talk about, you know, support network, families, friends, and the things that bring joy, it's, it's reconnecting with things for some people. Absolutely. And there's something about not just doing, but also being, being in that moment, enjoying every moment with a sense of perspective, with possibly a recognition that life is worth living. So Isabella, is there anything else, you know, patients can do to prepare themselves on the cardiac rehab journey? Absolutely. There's also something about having a routine. It's about accomplishing a task, however small, every day. It's about educating yourself in relation to your heart condition, using reputable sources of information. The cardiac rehab staff are very knowledgeable and will be able to answer your concerns or point you in the right direction. And we will also have links available on the podcast notes. And last but not least, make sure that you attend the cardiac rehab sessions. We know that people who attend them do better overall in staying well and staying healthy than people who choose not to attend. It will help people get physically fitter and more confident. Excellent. So when should people seek this help? Many people find that the problem gets easier with time, with the right social support, with attending cardiac rehab, and generally feeling physically well will also lead to psychologically feeling better. If you take the case of anxiety, it's only natural that anybody's anxiety levels would spike after a cardiac event, and a certain amount of anxiety can actually be helpful when it results in us taking appropriate safety precautions and self-care and leads to those positive, healthy lifestyle changes that we've mentioned earlier. However, if you find that psychological distress persists, if it starts to significantly impact on a day-to-day, if people start experiencing sleep difficulties loss of appetite or possibly too much eating, problems with concentration, unusual levels of irritability or low mood, then it's probably better to ask for professional help and assessment. And again, to reassure people, this can be a normal part of the process. Absolutely, but also to highlight the fact that this can take months, that part of their recovery, they need to recover physically as well as emotionally. And that will take time. It can be different for everybody. Indeed. So where can people get this help? I would encourage people first to talk to the cardiology team and to ask what services, if psychologist services, are available within the hospital. Alternatively, speak to your GP and ask what services are available in the community. Thank you, Isabella, for joining us today. And no doubt you have helped many of our listeners feel reassured that what they're experiencing is normal. I suppose a take-home for me is to, to find joy in the simple things. And now I'm delighted to have our final guest explain his experience of what led him to attend cardiac rehab. I'm sure many of you will recognise his voice from the radio or maybe his own podcast. Michael Harding, welcome to It's Cardiac Rehab. So you had a heart attack. Can you tell me about it? It was a, a very shocking event and I had never thought that I would get a heart attack. I was... As far as I was concerned, very healthy and energetic, and I wasn't overweight, maybe a few a kilo or so, but 
I, I lived an active life. I'm a writer, journalist. I do theatre work. So I would be touring and on stage a lot. So I thought I had a, quite a physical life. I probably also had a stressful life, but the cause of the heart attack was something that I didn't know what caused it. And it was a shock when it happened. And I was very, very lucky because I was in a hotel in Dublin, in Blanchardstown, and I happened to be about eight minutes away from the hospital. So so when I finally knew I need help very quickly, and I used the telephone called, called emergency services, they were with me, I would say, within eight minutes. And when they sort of came into the room, they gave me aspirin and some other stuff, uh, medicines, they did ECGs and they were going they, they were going to send me into the matter immediately. They were a bit worried because there was a, a kind of a thrombosis beginning to develop in the heart. But because they got there so quick and because I got the old tablets into me very quickly, and this just shows you how important it is to have facilities close to people when they get heart attacks, because of those facts... There was no damage done to the heart, and instead of going into the matter, they were able to say he's, you know, the there was a doctor from Blanchardstown on the phone to them and on a kind of a, a video link. He was able to say, "That's fine. He's okay. Bring him in here." I went over across the road to Blanchardstown, and the following day, I had a stent put in. So, I was really very lucky. I didn't expect it, even though I was in good health. And the lesson that I would take from it is the kind of emergency facilities that are available around the country are very, very important for people because the person who gets a heart attack is never the one you expect to get it. And I suppose also training up people in the community would be fierce valuable. Now, you might say, did I realise my own mortality in this moment i think i did but to be honest with you as a writer i've I've been writing about mortality and and spirituality for a decade and i suppose my big trauma came 10 years earlier when when i had a burnout experience and ended up in hospital with uh, with other ailments from exhaustion and at that time 10 years ago i was in my late 50s that certainly was a time where I realised, you know, you can expect ill health as you get older. Uh, there's no point in being in denial. And um, 60, I think, was a, a real watershed. And I think 70 would be as well. But <clears throat> again, I'm lucky because I haven't lost any sense of meaning because I've had a heart attack, because I've had a stent. I don't. I haven't lost meaning in life because my meaning wasn't dependent on a job. I suppose that's the most important way of putting it. That you know, I feel for many friends who are in jobs, nine to five jobs. They're let's say teachers, and all through their life, while I, as a writer, would be thinking, "Was I foolish to give up the old teaching job because it gives you a really steady income?" a professional job, whether it's a guard or a nurse or a teacher. And the only thing about those jobs is you come to 65 years of age and they tell you, that's it, goodbye, we don't need you. 
anymore. And I, I think that that really is a bigger challenge to the meaning of life than any health issue. Certainly for me, because I'm I'm still, you know, living a full life as a writer and have, you know, I wrote a book, in fact, about the heart attack. It's called Chest Pain, A Man with a Stent on a Camper Van. And it's, it's a lighthearted reflection, but it's also kind of a spiritual reflection on the meaning of life. I got a, a camper van not because I wanted to do something overactive, but I wanted to celebrate being alive. I think that was a deep experience I had after the heart attack was the sense of how how joyful and wonderful it is to have even another day of health. And I think that probably a heart attack at a certain age in your 60s, it does allow you to to live each individual day with more relish, with a sense that you're lucky to be here, really lucky to be here. And that would have made me feel also really grateful. Did it affect your faith? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think most people who who have gone beyond religious, conventional religious stuff still retain a sense of faith. And I think that in crisis, when they lose somebody they love, when they're in grief, when they're bereaved, and when they're nearing their own death, yes, I think, I think we all turn to faith. I would have been writing about faith over the years in four or five books and the one thing probably that the heart attack did for me was that it allowed me to not be ashamed or diffident about my faith. In other words, it was very, very clear that, as they say, there's no atheists in the bunker and there's no atheists in the cardiac unit either. You know, if you're really looking at the fact that you've had an illness which could kill you, then you reflect on the meaning of life and you, you, you know, you may have resources in your, your Christian faith or whatever, you know, Buddhist, Jewish, Islam, whatever. You may find resources in those things much more important to you than they, than they are when you're in your 30s or 40s. Um, so, so, yes, it did allow me to begin to, you know, pick up the faith with more enthusiasm. Now, that's not to say that I'd be in any way interested in institutional religion, uh, but I think that in a post-religious society, we still have an internalized faith. We have a sense of hope that there is some meaning to this life. And definitely those things were very strong with me in the year or two after I got the stent. I didn't have any sense of, you know, trauma about the meaning of life because, as I say, I was I was writing books and the drama of having had a stent put in only reinforced my enthusiasm. I, I, I said, this is wonderful. Now I have something new to write about. And away I went and I wrote a book called Chest Pain. So how are you feeling since you had your stents put in? Physically, I think, to be honest with you, uh, I'm better now because of the stent, hugely better. But I had a subsequent problem the year after putting in the stent. It was called a, a, a arteriovenal fistula. And that was a, a difficult one, an artery sending blood in the wrong direction. And that had to be rectified. So I've had a number of illnesses 
you know, around the cardiac issue, and I think the cardiac issue was caused by the other underlying conditions. And now, three or four years later, it looks like they've all been solved. They were all mechanical problems. And I would be feeling positive and touch wood, you know, maybe even in better health than I was before they put in the stent. Um, no, I didn't really get many panic attacks in the weeks and months after putting in the stent. I think I think it didn't just affect me in that way. You know, I think it affected me in the sense that uh, my faith became more important to me. It became common sense that at my age, you're looking into the last phase of your life and you're going to die at some stage, even if you last into your late 80s. But uh, for that reason, you you go for meaning in life. So, Michael, you've written a book about your heart attack called Chest Pain, and we'd be delighted to hear an excerpt from that now. I phoned 999 from my hotel room. I asked for an ambulance and gave my room number, but I forgot to alert hotel reception. So when the ambulance arrived, the hotel staff knew nothing about it. The paramedics told the receptionist that the call came from room 725. The phone beside the bed rang. Good morning, sir, the receptionist said. Did you order an ambulance? I wanted to say, no, I ordered poached eggs. But the tension at the reception desk might have exasperated if I had tried to be funny. The hotel manager wanted to find out what had happened in room 725, as though he came up in the lift with the paramedics. Moments later, two young men in high-visibility jackets were standing over me with aspirin and other tablets as I lay stretched on the bed. The hotel manager remained at the door. A mother and daughter pushing suitcases along the corridor stopped to gawk until the manager discreetly closed the door. One paramedic handed me a tablet. Don't swallow, he said. Chew it first. I chewed like a dog with a morsel of bone for some reason and I was talking to myself. The paramedics didn't hear me. They wheeled me to the lift down to the foyer and out the front door into the back of an ambulance. I've seen a lot of ambulances taking people away from supermarkets, public houses and hotel foyers. It's always the same. The ambulance arrives and the blue light spins. Another casualty of life is wheeled to the waiting vehicle. The back doors are slammed shut and the ambulance screams away into the traffic. Now it was me in the lead role. I'm sorry to have bothered you, I said to the paramedics as we sped through the traffic lights and crisscrossed Blanchardstown. It was just indigestion. He smiled. We'll be there in a minute, he said. And we were, and for a few hours my life, as they say, was in their hands. I remember waking in the night and seeing a nurse staring me in the eyes. Are you okay? she asked. Her oval face and brown skin were lit by almond eyes. Where are you from? I wondered. India, she said. Am I dreaming? I wondered. No, she said. 
you just had a heart attack. Tomorrow the consultant will put in a stent. There's nothing to worry about. Which wasn't exactly true. I was worried that I might need to use the toilet. We can get you a bedpan if you need one, she said, and I closed my eyes and tried to sleep. The stent was inserted the following afternoon, a near miraculous procedure, whereby a scaffolding is placed inside the clogged artery to allow a free flow of blood. The procedure was executed with precision by the dexterous hands and eyes of his heart surgeon, who spoke gently to me as I lay on the table before him. For some reason I got the notion that he might be from Kerry, and so, considering the masterful precision and dexterity of that county's champions in the football and the dancing, it seemed reasonable to believe that a Kerry man would excel equally well at heart surgery. I tried without success to engage him in conversation about Skellig Michael, orthodox monks and Kerry dancers, as I lay flat and almost naked on the table, with a gigantic television screen above my head and various people in eggshell blue uniforms moving about the operating room. When I was young, a heart attack often signified sudden death, somewhere casual, like the ninth green of the golf links. And surgery, when required, left scars from the neck to the belly button. Men wandered the hospital corridors in dressing gowns with despairing faces and in dreadful pain. So I was lucky, and I was full of gratitude. I wanted to hug the entire hospital and everyone in it. It was the 9th of December, 2018. Michael, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. So as we come to the end of the podcast series, uh, we began uh, in series one, myself and Deirdre O'Reilly, who's the president of the IACR, the Irish Association of Cardiac Rehab, um, introducing, Deirdre gave us an introduction about cardiac rehab in Ireland and the programme. And we've heard from many experts and importantly from patients themselves throughout the series. Um, On a final note, Deirdre, is there anything you'd like to say um, as we close this podcast series? First of all, I'd like to sincerely thank everybody who shared their experiences with us all. It was really compelling to listen to it and very powerful. Sincere thank you. The experts that came on as well, that was really excellent. It gave us great insight as to how the programme works and as well the benefit that you can gain from cardiac rehabilitation. Servier supported this project. Again, thank you. And Anthony, who made everyone who took part feel so much at ease. If there's anyone listening to this podcast who has been told they have heart disease, I want to impress on them there is support available. There are resources listed in the show notes section of this podcast. Cardiac rehab doesn't change your heart's past, but it can help you improve your heart's future. You do not need to face heart disease alone. Cardiac rehab is an opportunity for positive change in your life Every small change can make a big difference and we are there to support you making that change. And I might just close uh, by thanking you, Deirdre, and all of your colleagues in the IACR and everyone involved in cardiac rehabilitation 
And again, to all the patients involved, thank you. And finally, to everybody in the podcast studios who were so supportive and helpful in the making of this series. And to you, our listeners, I hope you have picked up some positive changes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and on social media so that others can benefit too. This podcast has been developed by the Irish Association of Cardiac Rehabilitation in partnership with the Irish Heart Foundation and supported by Servia Laboratories Ireland. For more information, or if you have any concerns, contact your local cardiac rehabilitation clinic or your GP or the Irish Heart Foundation at irishheart.ie. This is a six-part series. All episodes are available on the Irish Heart Foundation website at irishheart.ie. The content in this podcast is not intended to constitute or be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your doctor or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. The views, information or opinions expressed during the Cardiac Rehab podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent those of their employers, any hospital, the IACR, the Irish Heart Foundation or Servia Laboratories Ireland. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform and is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or treatment. The Irish Heart Foundation is here to support you. We have various ways in which you can join the larger heart and stroke community. We have meetings with expert speakers on topics such as diet, medication, exercise and the psychological effects of living with a heart condition. We have a very active private Facebook page called the Heart Support Network where you can access quality information and gain support from others who are on a similar journey to you. Our nurses are available with just a phone call for any medical queries you may have. If you have had a heart event or been diagnosed with a heart condition, do contact us on heartservices at irishheart.ie or phone 01668 5001.